You have to have a life that's not just tied up in the law. So some of the great advice the judge I took for gave me is that your legal career, your job is just not going to be the thing that fulfills you. It's going to be community service, organizations you're involved in, the friends you make along the way doing the practice, working in places with people you like. That's what makes a fulfilling career. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Sigal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Sigal Barnes. Today's guest counsels business owners, startups, and entrepreneurs across multiple industry segments in the D.C., Maryland, and Michigan areas. She is also a three-time Super Lawyer Rising Star, a 2023 Super Lawyer, and an instructor with the Prince George's County Community College Center for Entrepreneurial Development. She is the author of the ebook, The Small Business Owner's Guide to Hiring an Attorney, and the forthcoming book, Tell Me About the Hard Part, Five Steps to Help Businesses Face, Solve, and Prevent Problems. Let's extend a very warm welcome for our next lawyer who leads and principal of the SJS law firm, Siobhan Smith. Siobhan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am incredibly excited to be here chatting with you today. Likewise. And Siobhan, I'm not sure if you know, but at the beginning of every episode, I ask every guest for a little bit of gratitude and a little bit of slice of life. So if you can tell me, what is your favorite thing that happened today so far? A client had a really good piece of feedback saying that I was an important part of their strategic team and helping them think through decisions. I had that call right before you and I hopped on. And it's one of those calls that make you say, okay, this is why I do this, because you want it to be that partner for people to add another brain to them growing their businesses. So that was the best thing that happened to me today. And I made a really good cup of coffee. A good cup of coffee and great <laughs> feedback from the client. What else can you, I mean, that's, that's, that's wonderful. It. Yes. How do you take your coffee? I'm just curious. I use flavored non-dairy creamer from Trader Joe's. So I usually get their vanilla or they have a brown sugar one. And I use a French coffee press. I do not use a coffee maker. Sometimes if I'm feeling fancy, I will grind the beans. Can you come over and make me coffee? I do instant coffee. I like fancy drinks. I'm yes. all for it. <laughs> awesome. So, Siobhan, I am so excited to get into your story. What is your lawyer origin story? How did it all start for you? Yes, I did not grow up wanting to be an attorney. I did grow up loving to read and loving to write. So I went to college. I majored in political theory and international relations interned for a congressman, Congressman Conyers, who was now deceased, but had been a long-ranking member of Congress. And when I was in his office, we talked about, what do you do now? I was coming out of college in 2002, which was right after 9-11, not a lot of jobs, people not recruiting on campuses necessarily. And I said to him, I'm thinking of a master's in international relations or a law degree. And he says, go to law school, lawyers can do anything. And I said, Okay. I realized when I was in law school that that wasn't true. Now, nearly 20 years out of law school, two years shy of 20 years out, I realized that that is true, but there are a lot of caveats to that. So that's how I ended up in law school. And again, I really liked reading and writing. And I didn't, I wasn't one of those people who thought being a lawyer meant talking a lot. I knew it meant reading a lot. 
and writing a lot. And I always write those things. How did you know that law school would be a lot of reading and writing and not speaking so much? The major I had in college, political theory, a lot of people end up in law school from the college I was in. And the professors there talked about the rigorous reading and writing in law school and how this prepares you for that. And because the work I was doing was law adjacent, I saw that people had to get immersed in documents before you ever get up and say anything in the courtroom. Like you have prepared for a week before you talk for 10 minutes in a courtroom. And I realized that in undergrad. It's such an important skill in both law school and practicing law. And the fact that you identified that so early on and knew that going in and had those skills going in is incredible. Because I think for me, I love to read and write too. I was an English major in undergrad. And so when I went into law school, I was like, this is amazing. I get to read all the time. But I definitely had some colleagues that were like, I didn't realize I had to write so much or I didn't realize I had to read so many cases and it was jarring for them. So I think that's wonderful. And I love what you said, which is you need to immerse yourself in hours of documentation to say 10 minutes of something. Or to get there and the judge say, I already made a decision. I don't need you to say anything. Right. (laughs) Yes. I remember there was a time when I got to finally say something because that happened to me a lot when I was practicing. And I actually got to argue a summary judgment motion and I won. So it was the highlight of my career. The other thing that you said that I thought was really interesting is that on the days that you're not client facing, when you're deep into your work is some of your favorite times. Can you talk to me about deep work? What does that look like for you? Yeah. What usually happens is a person just calls and say, I want to do X. And you're trying to think about how do I make that happen on paper and protect all the parties? Is there any case law that I need to be thinking about when doing that. Or I'm reviewing clients for a document and I'm thinking about what's important to this client. What's going to get this deal signed quickly? So it's not even just the words on the paper. Sometimes you're trying to strike a tone in how something is coming across and really spending time striking that right tone. Yeah. What's your process when you approach it? Is it like a checklist? Is it just like the experience that you've had over time? How do you approach that process when someone comes to you? Yeah, I think it's experience over time. And it's interesting you say that. I think it is a checklist that I could stand to write down that I just never had. (laughs) I'm a huge checklist fan. I'm always down with a checklist. And it's just knowing the client. Like some people are just more risk adverse. So it's understanding the client as well. So I want to go through a little bit of your journey after law school and understand how did you get to where you are today starting your own firm? Yes. So I clerked for two years right after law school for an amazing judge. She's now the chief judge of the D.C. Court of Appeals. Best experience ever because I got to read and write all day. I worked with her on the trial court, which is more fast paced and not necessarily reading and writing. You're interfacing with more people. She was then elevated to the Court of Appeals and was gracious enough to let me join her for a year. And that's where, you know, reading and writing. So I really enjoyed it. And she was just a great first teacher as well to have on a law school. I think that's important to have a good first teacher. What do you think makes a good first teacher? Is it the mechanics of the law or something else? Not even just the mechanics of law, but just like what it means to be a lawyer and be a member of a community and and the heightened kind of, I think, responsibility that it should be on a person. Yeah. So did that for two years. And then I worked in a big firm for six or so years. And then this is when the, a lawyer can do anything. I was like, that's not true. Because you're applying to jobs and you're trying to say, I can do X. 
but nobody thinks you can do anything because you haven't done it. Well, it is, if you were going to work at this law firm, you're going to go to the practice we send you to because you have no history. Like, it's not like I had an MBA or I had spent time in public health and someone could transition me that way. We need a body here. We'll put you there. So ended up in a big firm doing, you know, corporate litigation for six or seven or so years. And then I was let go. It was the day after the Super Bowl in 2013. And it'll be 10 years this February. So I always celebrate that as my freedom day. It's funny because I went to work that Monday after the Super Bowl. And it was the Super Bowl where Beyonce performed and the lights went out. I remember that. And it was so like inspiring. Like, man, she works really hard. I should go work hard on Monday. So I like got to work really early, like really just heightening, trying to engage. And so I get to work early. I get an email, like, can we meet us in a conference or? And so I go in, you know, they do the whole spiel. You know, they offer you your package or whatever. And I remember emailing my friends and saying, um, I would just let go, but I'm, I'm at peace about it. Like literally that's the first thought that came to mind is that I was at peace. At the time, I had randomly dated a bunch of men who owned businesses throughout my life. And both of them said the same, like exes said the same thing when I told them. They were like, oh, now you can go be great that you don't work there anymore. You can go do something and be great. I always been in awe of business owners. Like I thought that that's a really amazing thing that people can do that. My parents actually met in a store that my grandfather owned a long time ago, like a convenience store in my mother's neighborhood. Wow. So I always felt like an affinity towards this. And I thought, Maybe this is something I can do. So looked for work, but didn't have a heart about it. It said, maybe I can start this business and maybe I could focus on business owners. 10 years ago, the conversation was much different on entrepreneurship than it was, I think, 10 years ago. And I thought, oh, maybe I could step in and help this group of people. Um, and so that's how the firm started. So I was let go February 13 and by January 2014, I had hung my shingle. So it'll be 10 years next year. Okay. Wow. So you call it Freedom Day, which I think is fantastic. And you clearly said over and over again that when you were laid off, that you were at peace with that. Yes. There are a lot of people right now getting laid off from large firms, yes. um, especially as it relates to the tech sector and so on. What is a piece of advice that you can give to others to find peace around being laid off. I think about this a lot because you see these stories of people, you know, take it really hard in, in a lot of different ways. And I always think to myself, like, man, their identity was, was tied up in their job. So I think that whether you're let go or not, you can never let your identity be tied up in a job or a title or any of that because all of that changes. And I think about the work that I do now. Even if I'm a lawyer, some of the characteristics of myself would exist no matter what, and they will come out no matter what. So I think the first thing is to make sure, you know, work on your identity, not being tied to your job. And I think I just had a great support system. Like when I emailed my friends, they were like, peace sounds like pizza. So we're going to have a pizza party at your house. Those are good friends right there. I love it. So I think just having like a good support system as well is important if even throughout your career because it will go through transitions like it's just going to happen um even if you stay at the same job for 30 years transitions will happen so i think getting your identity in check and having a good support system i think it's fantastic advice i'm trying to see if i can pull out practical ways in which people can maintain their identity i would be lying if i told you i had any practical ways <laughs> other than than just being me we'll say that you have to have a life that's not just tied up in the law. 
So some of the great advice that George Akerford gave me is that your legal career, your job is just not going to be the thing that fulfills you. It's going to be community service, organizations you're involved in, the friends you make along the way doing the practice, working in places with people you like, like that's what makes a fulfilling career. Right. So it's not Siobhan, a lawyer at this firm, doing this practice, having these clients, like, and that's everything that I am. It's Siobhan, who is a lawyer at this law firm, however, also loves entrepreneurship, is very interested in helping others, has a family of entrepreneurs. That is like the different pieces of you that you take with you regardless of where you're working. Exactly. So you start your firm and then you wrote a book and then you actually, there's another book coming up. How did that come to be? What made you decide to start writing a book? I think I was just looking for creative ways to market when I first started. Like I didn't want to be typical about the way I went about it. One of the ways early on that I attempted to get clients was going out and speaking. So I kind of just would ideate of topics and talking to other people. And I realized that a lot of people didn't know how to hire an attorney. They didn't maybe have someone readily available or know what to be looking for. So for me, I thought early on, the best way for me to get clients is to educate clients. Like that's how that came about. And really, it's just a bunch of presentations I've done that have been pieced together into a guide to to help someone, you know, start a business. I know I need an attorney. People have no clue what that means, what that looks like. And the thing they don't know is what you need an attorney for. Like they know I'm starting and I maybe need help starting, but then what? Um, so so that's how that came about. I know this is really kind of geared towards business owners, but what is like one or two practical tips that a lawyer should take away from a book like that? I think it would be knowing that when people come to you, they may not know what they're looking for. And so educate your consumer. Mm-hmm. And I think the more educated consumer you have, the better customer you have. That's a great takeaway. I think that it also helps manage expectations, right? So you might need this, you might need this, you might need this. So just be aware of that as we go through this process. And then we can talk about the different stages in which you might need me and whether you want to move forward with that. Right. Now you have a new book coming out. Tell me about the hard part Five Steps to Help Businesses Face, Solve, and Prevent Problems. I know you said you originally started with marketing. Is this also a marketing endeavor or was there something else that prompted this? This was an idea that was very much God-inspired. I was sitting in a conference and the idea just kind of dropped in in my head. And so it took a long time for me to write it because it's hard to find time to create when you are doing all these other things. But I've committed to trying to always finding time to create. And so the premise for me is people come to me in various stages of distress or not distress or trying to solve a problem. And I realized that back to what we said earlier about identity, even if I wasn't practicing law, people would be calling me asking for advice and asking to help solve a problem. I just had a way I thought through things in my head and I wanted to try to get my brain in a book because for so many people in general, but definitely business owners, problems can be paralyzing. And you almost don't know where to start and what to do or where to go. So I wanted to create like a step-by-step. Some things come up. Let me go through and checklist this. Or let me find ways to prevent these things from happening in my business as well. So that's the book. It'll be out pretty soon. Are there specific problems that you're helping address that you've seen as trends? 
it goes over lots of things, you know, employee problems, partnership problems, money problems. Um, so it really kind of covers the gamut. When I use an example throughout the book of a guy named Jim, fictional Jim, owns an HVAC company, and we help Jim kind of work through some of the things he's dealing with in his company as an illustration that I hope people can then apply to their businesses as well. In terms of like me creating our content, my goal is to take it more issue by issue. And I think the big issue I see that paralyzes so many people is money, like banks, creditors, you know, you borrow money and you just can't pay it back. Like, what, what do I do? Typically, people bury their head in the sand, which is not the way to solve the problem. So my next step is to go deep on some very specific issue that businesses may have and give them ways to try to solve them. So you're also deeply involved in volunteering on the board of Wheeler Creek Community Development Corporation. Can you speak to the work that you do there? Yeah, so Wheeler Creek is a nonprofit and they're really focused on several things, but really housing issues. So building affordable housing or getting people who need quick housing into housing. So I'm on the board there. For me, that was important because it's in my neighborhood. I live in D.C. The nonprofit's not too far from me. So housing is something that I think is important. I actually live in a mixed income neighborhood. So the development was created to be mixed income because that was important to me. So that's some of the work that that organization does. And you're also an active member of the D.C. Bar Pro Bono Committee. What are some of the things that are being discussed and addressed in this community? I think it's access. So obviously COVID did a number on people's ability to go out and get legal services to show up at a legal clinic. So that's one of the things we talk about are ways to make sure we're hitting our population, that the community and lawyers in D.C. who do pro bono focus on D.C. residents of low income means that they're doing pro bono that benefits the place where they practice. And also just encouraging lawyers to do pro bono work, like to dedicate percentage of their worker hours to pro bono. And it doesn't have to be a whole case that you take on. I have done that in the past. Or I've also just done clinics. And during COVID, it would be just virtually via Zoom, like getting someone online for an hour and helping them work through their issue can make a world of difference. So those are some of the issues we work on. That's great. So I want to get into some of our rapid fire questions. What does leadership and law mean to you? It means being willing to take risks, being on top of trends, and being able to make quick decisions when the information is gray. So talk to me about the quick decisions when information is gray. What does that mean? Being okay, knowing enough and having enough experience to say that this makes the most sense with the facts that I have right now. Absolutely. And willing to take risks. So I find that at least some lawyers are risk averse. How do you help other lawyers who want to be able to take more risks but are risk averse? What can they do to be a little bit more courageous? I think in order to innovate, you have to be willing to take risk. I would say for a person who maybe feel reluctant to do so, to not take risk by yourself, to surround yourself with other thinkers, um, you know, two or three other people that you trust that you can run ideas past, I think is a great way to start to think through ideas that may be not typical. You know, running a practice, obviously there are ways that it's always been done. But there are also a lot of new ways that you can tackle issues, problems, people, niches of law that you could think about that no one else has had. But I think probably involves having a team of people you trust that you can run those things by. I think that that's a good way to dip your toe into taking risks. 
Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying, which is like having a good support system, both personally and professionally. And reminding ourselves that a lot of the times we don't have to reinvent the wheel, um, that there are people that can at least provide the foundation to start our thinking um, so that that risk feels less intense. Absolutely. So tell me, before before we get to the next question, tell me about your firm. Yeah, so it's me. I have an administrative person and a few other attorneys who support me as well. We work exclusively with business owners, people who own and run small to medium-sized growing businesses in a variety of industries, government contracting, consulting, mostly service-based businesses, um, medical businesses, construction. And we serve as their legal eyes and ears working as fractional general counsel. So you're big enough to have problems, but you wouldn't hire someone full-time necessarily, but you need someone thinking about you full-time. Yeah, it's great. Like you said earlier with your client and your gratitude, it's being that strategic partner throughout. What is something that other lawyers seem to misunderstand about the work that you do? I think it's a few things. One, when you have a family law case or a criminal case, you solve that person's problem and then, you know, maybe they come back to you again because something happened. But at some point, they're probably not your client. Two, three years, you've solved that issue. My clients always say we go together. Like they come in, their business grows, I grow with them and I kind of stay with them. So I think that's one misconception. Like the turnover is a lot different. Two, when it comes to contracts, I think especially lawyers who may not deal with contracts a lot, the sense of like, oh, you just kind of put eyeballs on it and make sure it's fine and it's the form and you can move on from it. So I think some of the misconceptions are that there may be more ease to it than, than perhaps there is. Right. Like there's still like a gravity to all of those things, even though some people think that it's just a review. It's actually it takes a lot more thinking than, than people might think. Exactly. Um, great. If there was one thing you could change about the legal industry, what would it be? That more people had access to know what's available. I think what happens is people just don't know what kind of lawyer to get or when they need one. So I think just like more education so people know what their rights are, like what's available to them. And then just greater accessibility. I think that court is difficult. Like if you even figure out how to do it as a pro se person, and I think courts try really, especially D.C. courts and other courts, try really hard to make it more accessible. Um, but the law really is another language that you need an interpreter for. Um, and for some people, that's not always possible. So just making those things more accessible. Just curious if, you, if you've seen, like, even the smallest of ways in which there are certain processes that could be put in place to help that. What I find is that there is this, you tend to want to push people to do things online, which makes a lot of sense because it's simpler. There's a whole population of people who don't do things online, don't know what it means to kind of sign a document online. So I think having places in court that people, and again, some courts do this, that people can go to have questions answered. Obviously, understanding the legal ramifications of giving people advice, but even just procedurally, places in the courthouse that people can go to get their questions answered with compassion. I think what you just hit upon is really important, that sense of compassion and patience. There's so many times when you can go to like any, let's say, government agency and mm -hmm. uh, you're not always treated with respect or compassion, right? Because those people are dealing with a lot of people all day. But as someone that has a problem and's very stressed out and doesn't understand, to have somebody that they can go to and feel like there's some compassion around the conversation and patience. Because you have that one problem. 
Like if you're doing something for someone, they have that one problem. You have a hundred problems, maybe similarly that you're dealing with, but that doesn't change how they feel about it. So being able to deal with them, understanding this person has this one thing that they care about. Yeah, I agree. What an interesting thing to provide as a training, right? To people that work at, let's say the courts, like a compassion training, like a patience training, I think could be a really interesting way to help with the accessibility, right? Where people feel they walk in feeling supported versus fearful. And I would even transfer that to government agencies that work with people forming businesses. A lot of people don't hire an attorney for that. They're trying to figure it out online, how to do something. Again, some people make it easy, not every state. Um, again, but having that person that you can go in and talk to to say, I make really good pies and I'm just trying to form this entity so that I could sell a couple pies, you know, at my church. Yeah. <laughs> it helped me. It's so true. So I, where I work, it's uh, an entity out of New York City. And when I went on parental leave after I had my son, I was really confused as to what I was entitled to. And um, New York City had a hotline that you could call. And I got through to someone. And that person was so nice and walked me through yeah. all of my rights. And I was shocked. <laughs> I did not expect that in the least bit. And it changed my entire experience because I was like, what? a week and a half postpartum, like my brain was everywhere. And to have someone that was really compassionate and helpful changed everything for me. I think you really hit upon something like extremely vital to accessibility, truly. Absolutely. What is a piece of practical advice? I know you've given some already, but what is a piece of practical advice that you can give to our listeners? These are leaders and future leaders in the legal industry. Never stop learning. I will say I learned the best from other people. So kind of surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals as well. You talk a lot about your support system and making sure that you surround yourself with the right people. Do you mind sharing who some of those people are for you? Yeah, one of them is a mentor of mine who has a practice in Maryland who I kind of run everything past. Some of them are clients who have become friends that I'm able to run things past as well. So that's kind of the group of people I've been able to pull together who own businesses as well and to be able to run ideas. But especially the clients that are close to me that I could kind of say, I'm thinking about X as a client. What, what do you think? And I feel like it's a safe space for me to be able to talk to those people about things that I'm thinking. And that's so smart. It's like a client advisory committee. I never even thought about it like that. It, it really <laughs> is. What better people to help serve your clients than talking to other clients who have either gone right. through that or are going through that or or like to bounce those ideas off? I think that's super smart. Final question. What do you do for self-care? I mean, rest. So I definitely get all my hours in and I sleep well. I drink water, I exercise. I definitely spend time to kind of pray. I read the Bible, which becomes good quiet time for me. And then trying to do something fun every now and again, traveling and spending time with people that I like. So it's pretty, pretty basic. But again, I try not to let the work be my whole identity and my whole life. And you know what? The basics, I think, are the most important things, right? Like you said, yeah. rest, water, faith, and fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, super important things. I think that yeah. they're and they're all like have shown to be very effective if you have all of them. So yeah. that's beautiful. Siobhan, thank you so much for being on the show. Truly, this was thank a wonderful you. conversation. If anyone wanted to contact you and learn more about you and your firm, how can they do that? Definitely go to my website. It's the sjslawfirm.com. Our phone number is 202-505-5309. 
email Siobhan at the SJSLawFirm.com. Wonderful, Siobhan. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, a lot of memories that come back to mind. So thank you for having this conversation and sparking this thing. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry with over 1,000 verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers Who Lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.